0: This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague.
1: Hey guys, Ryan here from Somewhere in the Skies, and today we have a very exciting interview for you guys. You know them uh, being featured on Unsolved Mysteries, the Paranormal Rangers, but if you're not familiar with their work, you're going to learn all about it. Tonight, we have Jonathan Dover and Stanley Milford on the show. So let's not waste any more time. Let's bring them in. We're going to hear the origin of how the Navajo Paranormal Rangers started, uh, the investigations that they conducted, and where things stand now. So without further ado, we have Jonathan Dover, Stanley Milford. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. Thanks for having us. Thank you, thank you guys now um like like I mentioned, a lot of people probably saw you guys on unsolved mysteries um However, a little bit of trivia, my first ever u f o conference I attended was the international u f o Congress, where I was volunteering backstage, you know. I would do whatever they needed me to do, sweep the floors, get coffee, uh, you know, work the soundboard. And I specifically remember uh, I was one of the individuals that put the microphones on you guys for your talk there. And uh, I was blown away. I, you know, when I had heard that you were basically the real life X-Files, I I couldn't get (laughs) enough. And I've been following your work ever since cool. so um this is a true honor to have you guys on here today
2: it's nice to be here
1: Thank yeah you. it's
3: Thank uh, you. it's it's been a little bit of a, a travel with covid and everything but uh we came out on the other side okay
1: we're all here yeah. we're all here and we've got a lot of stories to hear from you guys so i'm i'm excited um well before we get to uh obviously everyone wants to hear about some of the the investigations that you guys have been on but um i always like to get the origin story of course um so if you guys don't mind maybe jonathan we'll start with you um how you both became navajo rangers how did that opportunity arise before we even get to the uh the special part of those investigations. What made you want to become a Navajo Ranger?
3: Well, um, 1980, I actually was looking for a job. And uh, they said, at the chapter house, they said, there's an opening for a Navajo Ranger. Had no idea what it was. Um, I ended up applying. They uh, gave me a ride to Window Rock, which is about 130 miles away uh, from where I live. And uh, I walked in, and the director there asked me one question. Uh, How would you feel if somebody threatened your life? And I told him, uh, well, I'll cut their ears off at uh, 200 yards of the 300 Savage. And they said, you're hired. Next thing I know, I was in the police (laughs) academy for six months. And so I kind of blundered into it and found out I was pretty good at it. And uh, here I am today, uh, retired.
1: Wow. That's that's quite a uh an interview if you ask me. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Stan, how about you? What what made you want to become a Navajo Ranger?
2: I think growing up uh in a rural setting in in Oklahoma, uh me and a, a cousin of mine that was a couple of years older than me, uh at the at the age of like ten years old, nine years old, riding uh, dirt bikes, motocross bikes, and playing cops and robbers, and watching really too much uh, Starsky and Hutch and SWAT. And uh, so, so I was at the University of Arizona when I was contacted by the uh, director of Parks and Recreation, an individual named Clarence Gorman. And uh he asked uh, if I would come back and uh attend the police academy and uh that 's what I chose to do, so that's i I became a Navajo ranger
1: interesting, okay, and then you know eventually you guys would both meet and start working together um however i'd love if you could just paint a picture for us now, I know the Navajo territory that you covered um as rangers was was vast. Um but what exactly is a Navajo Ranger for those who may not be aware of what the duties actually entail. Um um you know the the, the areas that you covered. Um either one of you if you want to cover that what exactly is a Navajo Ranger and, and what areas did you cover?
3: Okay so a Navajo Ranger is a very specialized uh, law enforcement officer. What he does is he handles uh, uh, both renewable and non-renewable resource law enforcement. So we were trained and uh, operated in the areas of fish and wildlife, uh, forestry, uh, parks and recreation areas. Uh, we, We would enforce the laws in those areas. Uh, minerals, mines, uh, water resources. Uh, we were also tasked with uh, handling um, search and rescue and, um, and technical rescue uh, situations. And then we also uh, did police work on the side when there were no police officers present or able to respond to something or if there was a life or death emergency.
1: Interesting. All right, Stan, did you want to add anything to that? I thought it was a pretty good summation.
2: Well, you know, what we did uh, involving the paranormal was under a section called special projects. Mm -hmm. But within that special projects unit, um, there was a lot of other responsibilities, such as uh, special weapons and tactics call out, SWAT call out. Uh, So he and I did that. Uh, I worked on a drug and gang task force under that section. Um, We did dignitary protection. We took care of some really high profile and sensitive uh, investigations and and, uh, assignments and stuff like that. So it was, it wasn't just what people perceive as just a paranormal section. It, It wasn't, it was kind of a, broad spectrum of, of enforcement. So.
1: Right. I, I, I remember hearing you guys, uh, elaborate, you know, that the paranormal was maybe 1% of the work that you did out there. Um, obviously for audiences like ours, of course, those are the investigations they want to, they want to hear about, but, um, let's, let's dive into that. I guess that 1%. Um, what was it like for both of you personally, When you first got assigned to these cases, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, it was just another day at the office when when you were told that you were now going to be going out and investigating ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, skinwalkers, things like this. Um, Jonathan, maybe we'll start with you. What was it like that first day when you learned you'd be working on these, quote unquote, special investigations?
3: Well, the, uh, the director had a, uh, the chief ranger had a meeting with the entire department. And basically, uh, there had been an investigation. <clears throat> and if you know these guys that went out there, uh, two rookies, uh, they were regular jokers. They would laugh and joke all day long and just have these little private um, uh, jokes about, you know, around them. And uh, they went up to a lady that uh, lost one of her sheep to a Bigfoot. And, of course, they were laughing, joking, you know, horsing around. And she took a offense to that and thought they were laughing at her and chewed out her, our chief ranger. So he called everyone in, basically told us that uh, these cases were, would be investigated professionally. And there would be reports written Turned to me and Stan, and uh, I like to tell everybody that we were uh, voluntold. Uh, We didn't request (laughs) it. We didn't raise our hands or anything. Um, And uh, suddenly we were told that we would be getting the the major cases involving uh, paranormal stuff. And uh, we just looked at each other and like, you know, wow, (laughs) Uh, we didn't see that coming.
1: Stan, what was it like? for you personally, when you learned that you now would be investigating these quote unquote special paranormal cases?
2: Um, one of the things was, is that, um, up until the point that we, uh, we were assigned to attend this, uh, department wide meeting. It was just a normal day. It was just an everyday, um, a regular day. And, uh, but we did have a department wide staff meeting. We were called into that meeting. And um, so heading up that special projects unit, the, one of the main reasons we were a part of that was that I think the chief ranger at that time, we worked really close with him. We were probably uh, the, the closest personnel working directly with the chief. Um, and we had developed a this relationship where he knew he could give me and John uh, assignments, and regardless of how how technical they were or how um, how uh, difficult they might be, that he could rely on me and John to handle it, regardless. And that John and I think, I think with him, had developed a reputation of uh, dependability and reliability and professionalism. So, um, so when we got assigned, uh, it wasn't like John and I were over oh, there raising our hands and saying, Oh, we want to, we want to run this or whatever. That, that wasn't the case. It was simply that chief had this assignment and, he looked at us, too, and said, you two are the ones that are going to manage uh, these assignments or these cases investigations. So <laughs> at first, you know, it was kind of like all of the other uh, assignments we had received. It's it's yes, sir. And and uh, you did what you were told, you know, and uh, right. but I don't think that we, you know, Yes, John and I had had uh, our own personal experiences with what would be termed as supernatural or paranormal even prior to those assignments. And even actually there was there was cases we did that prior to that that would have fallen under what would be termed as um, paranormal or supernatural. But um, so I think that kind of it facilitated us to get right into that and, uh, get busy investigating these things and stuff. So, right. For me, it was just one of those, those, another assignment, you know, that we're given. And so we were going to do it regardless of, um, the nature of what it was.
1: Right. Uh, that was actually going to be one of my questions for you guys was, were there ever instances where, uh, you know, you went into a case to investigate and um, that you, then it turned into a paranormal case. Like it, it wasn't, you weren't sent out to investigate someone who had a Bigfoot sighting, but, um, you know, boom, all of a sudden you're in the middle of, you know, a quote unquote conventional investigation of something else. And I don't know, a UFO zipped by or, or a, you know, a paranormal event occurred. Did that ever happen to you guys?
3: Oh, and things like that would happen all the time. Um, there, there are many, many cases uh, where their paranormal would kind of peek at you and you'd understand that, Hey, there's, there's something more going on here. And um, for the most part, you just kind of ignored it or let it be on the side. Did your report, Uh, tried to maintain uh, as many factual uh, stuff as you could within the report. And it was just kind of, uh, you know, it was understood it was there.
1: Interesting. So I guess let's start from the beginning when these cases were assigned to you guys. Do you remember the very first "Quote unquote paranormal case that you were you were assigned to any memories of what that was and and how it kind of led you down the path.
3: We got a uh, case initially. Um, what had happened was that uh, this is one of the ones that showed up on the Netflix series. Uh, we had at least thirty people have sightings of Bigfoot uh right around that bloomfield uh between bloomfield and shiprock along the san juan river and um they they were frightened and uh the community had gone uh to the local police department and says hey you know we got all these sightings of this uh, bigfoot and the lieutenant came out and In front of everybody, just laughed at them and went, ha, 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 I wonder how much these people have had to drink.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And so they basically turned their backs on the police and said, you know, we don't we want nothing to do with you guys. And they contacted the Rangers. Uh, We sent a six man crew up there and spent three days and two nights. Uh, thoroughly investigating the case, getting statements from people along the river, and uh, collecting uh, uh, hair evidence, foot track evidence, and things like that, and uh, did determine that there was something going on.
1: Interesting, Stan. Do you have anything to add to that that first Bigfoot investigation you guys went on? And uh, you know, what did was this something that you? you were familiar with before getting involved. And um, yeah, how'd you come out on the other side thinking about Bigfoot after that?
2: That assignment that you're talking about that he's referring to up along the San Juan River, it really was the first where we're involving a number of Rangers uh, assigned uh, to an actual investigation that, that was obviously within that realm of paranormal investigation. Um, I don't think I actually witnessed uh, what people refer to as a Bigfoot until later on in uh, some other investigations where I actually witnessed um, what it is people refer to as a Bigfoot. Uh, Twice I've i have having an experience where I've seen uh, this either entity or this, you know, I don't, whether it's a creature or, uh, uh, but anyway, um, so prior to that, you know, um, to that particular assignment, uh, I really didn't have a whole lot of experience in that, but, but um. it it did involve an entire team and it involved the planning, uh, for that assignment and the equipment that would be needed. And, uh, um, really, uh, put my eyes to, to how really how involved the entire community in that area was, actually having witnessed this thing that people refer to as Bigfoot.
1: So this is primarily a UFO podcast. Um, So I know our listeners are going to want to hear from you guys about that. Um, So, John, let's start with you. What is your most memorable, I guess, investigation that involved the mysteries in our skies?
3: Well, this again would be one of our one of our cases. We refer to it as the old man case. Uh, in this incidence uh an elderly man was home by himself uh, th- This is the short version uh there's other versions of it that go into much more detail mm-hmm. but uh, we had uh this situation where this old man his his wife and daughter had gone to to Phoenix. And so he was home by himself. It's uh, midnight or one in the morning, and he sees a light. And it looks like, to him, it looked like a car coming up the road. Uh, It turned out that it was this craft that was flying, uh, circled his house, and then landed up on the ridge behind him. Um, He sees something come out of the craft, out of the bottom, and go down to a house maybe a half mile away go back up to the craft and then come back toward his house. Uh, His dog starts barking. Uh, It's a a little blue heeler pup. And, uh, you know, it goes running out there barking. And he hears it, you know, yelp. And it comes running back to the house and curls up by the front doorstep and just lays there. uh, Doesn't move. So now he's getting nervous and he goes inside He's looking out the window and sees uh, what could be described as a gray alien, uh, four of them that uh, have these little flashlights in their hands. Uh, He calls it flashlight, but it has a collimated beam about an inch uh, in diameter and different color beams of light, uh, red, blue, uh, yellow and uh, and green. And uh, they're shining it around, looking like they're looking for something. Uh, Out around his house, he has all these uh, solar lights, and they they seem to be very fascinated by these lights. And uh, as they approach them and gather around the light, the light slowly dims and goes out. Um, They back up, they stand up again and back up, and the light comes back on again. And they would lean in again, and the light would go out. Uh, This happened several times. Um, Finally, he decides he's in Navajo. There's no word for alien. So he's saying, what are these little children doing around my house? He says they they, they were wearing these uh, white uh, skin tight suits, um, either white or light gray. And um, so he goes out to confront them. He says they had big heads and they had black eyes. And um, as he turns the corner uh, around the backside of the house, he tripped on the step and fell, broke his flashlight. And as he looked up, these things were uh, hightailing it away. Uh, uh, in later conversations, uh, he describes them as, as being startled and having their hands up and waving them and, um, and then, you know, getting away. Uh, so they get back to the ship, they take off and, uh, he, he doesn't know what the result of that was. Uh, later on, we found out uh, a couple of weeks later that that little dog had died. Uh, we didn't know about it at the time. Otherwise we could have had it necropsied and we did a full investigation there with a, uh, federal court interpreter, uh, doing simultaneous translation for us.
1: That's a really interesting case, a a close encounter of the third kind, I would say, Um, and very dramatic, if you ask me. And what I appreciate is, you know, you guys aren't just out there taking witness testimony. You're actually trying to find evidence, find proof of these things, which was, you know, shown in the Unsolved Mysteries episode. Um, of testing a car where a UFO hovered above it and things like that. So um, I, I found that really interesting. Stan, how about in you in terms of uh, UFO investigations? Anything really memorable stick out to you about um, UFO activity over the Navajo territory?
2: One of the UFO experiences that John and I had, it hadn't started out as an actual paranormal-related case it was a drowning. Uh, an individual had drowned uh, somewhere in the San Juan River. And John and I had placed a boat in, in the water at uh, Lake Powell and uh, began traversing to the, to the east along in the San Juan River. And um, so we got so far, and it was getting late in the day. Uh, we came to a debris field where we couldn't go any further. Uh, for fear of damaging the prop on the boat. And so we just pulled off. We decided we would, we would camp for the, the rest of the day and evening. And, and uh, so we set up camp. And that night, uh, uh, really clear sky, I, we, we were laying on our cots, and I noticed an object uh, that was coming from the west headed in the east direction and this particular object was it was kind of amber in color and it was a little bit bigger than what you normally see with common satellites and uh, the 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 really unusual thing about this particular object was that it was making a zigzag pattern uh, as it moved to the east and uh, so I got John's attention, and we began watching it. As it got almost right directly above us, at the, about the twelve o'clock position, we noticed following in line behind it was two um, two military craft. Uh, and it turned out John was able to identify these as F sixteen, and he advised that they you know they had their afterburners on, which meant that they were pursuing this um, in an accelerated way. So uh, but a uh, little bit, a little bit later as we were watching this, uh, all of a sudden this zigzagging object accelerated to the East and uh, at a blinding speed. I mean, it, we were able to see the edge of the horizon uh, where we, from where we were at. And uh, this object went almost from the 12-noon position all the way to the horizon. You know, within like a second and a half, it was gone, and it was. we watched it disappear. And it left the two F-16 fighters, you know, side-by-side side, uh, trailing behind this kind of like a, a child on a tricycle <laughs> because this thing, the the capability and technology that would have been involved in this for this object to accelerate to we guesstimate somewhere in the name of, in the area of like 10,000 miles an hour. And it was just unbelievable. and it left me and John in awe of watching this thing, what just played out right in front of us. And, um, so, um, again, like you had said earlier, you know, we set out on an investigation that ended up, (laughs) ended up being something of a paranormal or, or UFO nature that, you know, we didn't, we, we, there was no expectation for that. It just happened right there in front of us and we were left in awe. So. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, preparedness is, you know, a word that I assume comes up a lot before you go into an investigation of any kind. And and I'd love to touch on that with you guys before we move to uh, some, some listener questions here. Um, How do you, mentally physically uh i I guess even emotionally prepare to go into an investigation where you have no idea what's going to happen whether it's paranormal or not um do do you both have any personal routines or or practices or anything to prepare you for for these types of investigations john let's start with you
3: well for me um there's you can have preconceived ideas a great man once said that uh can you look at a situation without naming it naming it making it a word causes fear Hmm. so you don't name it uh you you go in without a preconceived idea of what you're going to uh see or experience and you go in with the idea that you're going to do the job. In in my work, uh, I, w- I was a licensed EMT uh, as a uniformed officer. And I would see horrific uh, injuries and amputations and people dead and actually dying. And um, I found out that if you stop and let that overtake you... Um, you're no good to anybody. And so you just have to do the job and get to the point where um, you're going to be their best hope of survival. And in the paranormal cases, you do something similar. You don't uh, show that fear. Um, you know, like like you see on TV today, you see these guys, you know, oh, my God, oh, my God. And they start, they start running around mm-hmm. um, and the panic overtakes them. Um uh, we never did that. And uh you know we just went into it and said whatever happens will happen.
1: I know Stan has had a personal experience with a skinwalker and I know you've actually been to Skinwalker Ranch so I'd love to get your opinion on on that whole aspect of a lot of this phenomena. Um is this is this something you've pursued in your own investigations? And uh, what do you make of these areas, I guess, these condensed areas of high strangeness, whether it's Skinwalker Ranch or or the areas that you and Stan investigated? Um, what do you make of the entire Skinwalker uh, phenomenon?
3: Well, the Skinwalker phenomenon is basically worldwide. Uh, you have uh, incidences of shape changers in Australia and Africa, in Europe, and in Indonesia, uh, you know, just all over the whole world. Uh, other Indian tribes have uh, similar versions. Um, and interestingly enough, a lot of them, the information is, is uh, very consistent, Uh you know, telling you that you shouldn't be out in the dark whistling because it attracts these things. Um, Hmm. They show up as um, uh, like the Wendigo, the Rake. Uh, They can show up as as different types of of creatures. and uh, But they're all very similar in that a person uh, can shape change. In our discussions of this and and talking about it, we've actually had military people show up with clipboards taking notes. And so now we give them a shout out because uh, Indian tribes are not very trusting of the military. Um, But we we speculate that the government is interested in this idea because uh, what if you had a soldier who could shape change? into an animal and go behind enemy lines and create havoc back there. Hmm.
1: Um
3: the one thing that I would caution people about is that in the case of uh and I'm only speaking about the Navajo Skinwalker, uh they can actually be dangerous. They're not an avatar. They are not a spirit form of something um sent out to do the bidding. Uh they are real people that have uh basically learn how to do this and uh, they can poison you and they can injure you rather severely uh, or make you so sick that you won't be able to function for a year and a half as in one case that we had. So um, we we caution people and even film crews that come out that if they want to go look for the skinwalkers, uh, uh, we're done. Uh, we're going to call it. And uh, because uh, we we have seen what they can do, uh, they can be killed also. That, that's one thing that we did find out uh, over a period of time. And I've known it for a long time that uh, people have actually shot them uh, and and they some of them have died. And uh, in fact, in 1977, one was killed in uh, Chin Lee and, uh, you know, Somebody knocked on the, the door, the guy opened it up and got an ax in the head. Uh, the FBI arrested two individuals and they said, well, you know, in trial, they said, if it wasn't us, you know, we were designated by the community to go do this. And, um, you know, we did our job. If it wasn't us, it would have been somebody else. And uh, they, they were actually acquitted in federal court
1: of, of homicide. Wow. That's crazy. I I <laughs> Oh, yeah, that one left me speechless. Um, wow. Well, I mean, what do you think John actually being on Skinwalker Ranch? I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people are very critical of the work being done there. Uh, you know, they they are being told not to dig and um, you know, to not upset the 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 land there to do their scientific investigations and whatnot. Um, having been there, having sort of been at the center of all of that, um, what do you make of Skinwalker Ranch? And do you do you think they should continue to try to investigate there and figure out what's going on? The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week, but. If you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So, to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies.
3: there is high strangeness, uh, there is an energy source that's showed itself. Uh, there's a frequency showing, uh, 1.6 gigahertz. Um, and it's my understanding that this frequency is only used, uh, by NASA for communication, uh, with spacecraft, hmm. uh, that, that we launch. Uh, so there's, there's a lot going on. Uh, UFOs show up over there, um, Uh, cryptids show up, uh, Bigfoot shows up, you know. And we have areas uh, on our reservation here that are very, very similar uh, that uh, people avoid and, uh, you know, stay away from. There's areas down in Sedona uh, that uh, they call them vortexes, but they're very similar in, in energy profiles. And so we've seen a lot of the same things up here. We just don't advertise it or talk about it, uh, but there are a lot of them. Uh, Dulce is another one uh, on the Hickory Reservation <laughs> that has a lot of strangeness. So uh, we think that there's these uh, nodules, so to speak, uh, all around the United States, of places that are probably uh, either inaccessible or avoided. Uh, by a lot of people because of these uh, strange things that go on. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch, the uh, NIDS team that was there uh, prior under uh, Bob Bigelow, uh, the information that they gathered is still considered classified even today. And so the team that's up there now had to start, you know, all over from, from the ground up. And they were told by when the, Ranch was sold to them not to dig uh, because they found out that if you'd started digging, things would happen. Uh, it would provoke a response. And uh, we've, they've seen that up at Skinwalker Ranch with Thomas being injured and having to go to the hospital. Uh, we saw Travis uh, Taylor get injured when he stuck his head over a hole and got his face irradiated with the radiation. So um, there's there's lots of uh danger there. Uh for me uh doesn't really bother me. Uh I go through my protection uh regimen uh before going there and uh, you know every day afterwards uh, just to uh keep myself protected and I've been on the ranch but I haven't been injured and uh you know I'm I'm happy with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fingers fingers crossed it stays that way. Um, well, in terms of all of the cases, John, you've looked at throughout the years in, in relation to the paranormal, supernatural, ufological, even, um, do you have a favorite case or one that you continue to chase until today or most memorable, all wrapped into one? Um, is there any case that truly personifies that for you?
3: Well, there is a case, uh, and it's, it's a little bit out of the way, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell it because there's a point to it. Okay. Um, there was a lady that uh, contacted our department, and uh, she said that, uh, well, she, she's what we classify in law enforcement as EDP, uh, which is an emotionally disturbed person. So they're having some some issues uh, mentally. And she had contacted uh, the city police, the state police, the county, uh, the Navajo police. Everybody told her that, you know, we don't handle that or, you know. And what she was saying was that skinwalkers were coming around her house and trying to drive her off her land. So she contacted our department and me and Stan says, "Okay, we'll we'll go out there and meet with her. Um, She had inherited this land from her mother, who had passed away and had spent all her life in in different states. Uh, She was taking a whole regimen of uh, drugs. And um, so we started looking at this. And she showed us uh, some little tiny bundles of feathers and, and leather that had been left out you know, near her house and said that things were coming around, scratching at the, you know, at the side of the house and things like that. Um, we found tracks and we started to track it. Uh, in tracking these tracks, and both me and Stan are, are very good trackers, uh, we found s- at least six individuals that had come up from a trail behind her house. And um, they had, uh, they, 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 you could see where they st- stood around in a little circle and talked with each other. Uh, what we determined was that these were local town drunks that had, uh, she had a little hogan that had no windows and no door. And they were using this as a crash pad for themselves. And, uh, when she came to take over the property again, started living there, they tried to drive her out by imitating, uh, skinwalker activity. And she was genuinely frightened. Um, so as a result of that, we told her, these are not skinwalkers. These are local drunks. They're trying to chase you away from your land and um you know so it's not definitely not skinwalker activity although they tried to make it look like it um we didn't hear anything more she was she was very thankful um a month later uh, our dispatcher got a call and this lady is on the line again she is crying on the phone and she said thank you thank you thank you um I've gotten my house fixed up and I'm living there and I have no more issues going on. And I just wanted to call you and thank you for, you know, for listening to me. And uh, what me and Stan have found out is that it's about helping people that maybe nobody else wants to to take a look at this issue. Uh, We had an old grandma up in Dulce when we spoke up there come up to us and she had tears, you know, in her eyes. And she was uh, explaining that as a little girl, she had uh, orbs and UFOs come around her. And uh, she had never told anybody in the family, Uh, the, the kids, the grandkids, the great grandkids all had their jaws down on the floor because nobody had ever heard her talk about this, and she thanked us for for talking about these subjects and bringing it out, uh, because it actually helped her tell her story to her family. Uh, so it's it's really all about uh, if we can to try to help people.
1: Let's let's wrap up. Actually, I've got um, two listener questions for you, um, sure if you don't mind. Um, We have our first one here from Metal Matt. He's one of our Patreon subscribers, and he wants to know, do you and Stan have any plans of writing a book about your experiences?
3: Uh, Yeah, quick answer. Stan is currently working on his book and has a publisher and an agent and everything else. My book is about one third away uh, through, uh, but it's 47 chapters. So there's oh. a lot to write, and uh, it's it's an uphill uh, thing.
2: I know the v- vice president of HarperCollins Publishing had contacted John, uh, and he showed that he was excited and very interested in publishing uh, both John and my books. And uh, so when John let me know that, I did jump on that. John and I had already been writing uh, for to put together individual books going way back to when we were working as rangers i think i think once we we had really got into doing these kind of investigations that uh, it was interesting to us i mean and it still is today where we a big part of what we do in the investigation is the fact that we're curious there's a curiosity and and uh wanting to learn more about the unknown and uh so when that opportunity presented itself um for me you know after John let me know on it i jumped right on it and and uh things did seem to roll really quickly with it and so yeah there's there's a we both will be uh working to get our b- books out. Um, um, so. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Oh, I'm looking <laughs> forward to that for sure. Um. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, kind of playing off of that, uh, Lisette over on YouTube wants to know, uh, were there any cases that you guys covered on unsolved mysteries that didn't actually make it onto the show that you wish had or any cases that you wish they had actually covered? Um, you know, I mean, what we got on the show was incredible. But any cases you really wish they had gone after, or or possibly got left on the uh, the editing floor, as they call it.
2: Um, I don't think in what we filmed there was anything that was left on the cutting room floor. Um, I think everything that we set out and we actually filmed was included. the The challenge is that, uh. For a given episode, there's only so much room to be able to fit things in. And uh, but me and John, you know, we've discussed this among ourselves in length. There's so many uh, cases and and events and incidents that that we've never even we've never even shared with the public. To date, I mean, I have, I have incidents that involving a doppelganger, um, uh, an incident where mass livestock were killed in an unusual manner, and uh, you know, so many different things. And I know John, John has the same. And so there's still so much more and even personal experiences with the paranormal that's still going on to this very day. Um, So there's so much more that we have to be able to bring to the surface and bring to the public. So, yeah.
1: Interesting. John, did you want to add anything to that?
3: Oh, boy, there's uh, they said that when we finished uh filming that uh they had enough actually for two episodes but they could only put one episode down um one of the things that we're very uh, adamant about uh, because we had done shows with other production companies and they says oh you know we want to tell your story and what happens is they kind of made it a mishmash of different stories all put together to make it sound more interesting. And, um, we told this company that, uh, we weren't going to do that. If, uh, they would tell our story correctly, uh, that we would work with them. And, uh, you know, they, they did, uh, I've got to hand it to them. They, they came out, you know, it, it was great. Um, uh, mm. They they actually were very careful about uh, making sure that every little detail was correct. And uh, we were happy with the result that we saw.
2: I think one of the things that we've made clear up front is that we're not going to fabricate things, you know, that didn't happen. Uh, we're not going to exaggerate or, um, you know. Uh, sensationalize uh, these cases that we were involved in. I mean, him and I, we're not against creating uh, some, a work of fiction that would be based on some of these experiences. I think there's there's room for that in, in a motion picture or whatever. But in what we're sharing uh, either with our presentations or something like uh, like Unsolved Mysteries. You know, we're going to stick to what, what happened. And, and, uh, um, so we've, we've been very adamant about that. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're, John and I aren't these people that go in these investigations that are jumping and running. Oh my God. And, and we we're not, we don't do that. Uh, we don't do that and never have done that. And, uh, We've stuck to the fact that we are investigators where we were sworn at the time, you know, and uh, we're not going to fabricate, fabricate and make up things and lie about things, you know. And I think that's probably one of the things that maybe sets us apart with some things that you see out there is that we were sworn officers and this was our assignment. and. Um, Um, we had a duty to help people and, and we, we still carry that part of it as far as, you know, in the investigations we still do to this day, not as law enforcement, but we're trying to help people, bottom line, people that are, people that want help and that there's nobody there to help them. So, yeah.
1: Right. Well, yeah, that was kind of going to be my last question. You know, I know you're both retired now from the Rangers. However, uh, you know, you've made (laughs) you've made, uh, I would imagine, very strong bonds with these people who've had highly anomalous experiences that you would go on to, um, you know, become a part of. And investigate and and find some closure for these people so that was going to be kind of my last question do the investigations continue and uh you know what is that like you know coming out on the other side not having to speak for the rangers any longer but speaking for yourselves on a lot of this stuff um yeah that's my long-winded way of asking do the investigations continue john let's start with you
3: well, the investigations uh, uh, have on a case-by-case basis continued. Uh, we do get requests, and um, unfortunately, we don't get paid for any of these. Uh, we're doing it on our own time, so to speak, and it, it can run into quite a, quite a bit of money. Uh, as you know, just, just gassing up your truck you know, to get somewhere can, can cost a lot now. So um, it's not that we don't want to do some of these things. It's that in some cases, we just can't, can't go and do them. Um, people also ask us, and, and I need to put this in here. They ask us, how can I protect myself? And I, in Alien Con, I had a, a person ask me, you know, should I start smudging? Should I start using uh, sage? And uh, this was a non-Indian that was asking this from the audience. And my answer to them was that, uh, take go back into the history of your culture and find out what they did to ward off evil. And then use those things with intent, the intent of your mind that this is going to protect you and make it your own. Uh, don't don't just copy uh, Native Americans as to what they do, and um, uh, I had a lot of Native Americans afterwards come up to me and thank me for making that statement, uh, because uh, a lot of people are just adopting or uh, assimilating. You know, yeah, assimilating what natives do, right. and um, you know that it really. If you just go through the motions, it it doesn't have anything to it. It it relies on the intent of the person.
1: Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, Stan, do you have anything to add to that in terms of the continued investigations and kind of trying to continue to help these people after, you know, the initial events happened?
2: I think one of the things is that that's a part of John... John's personality and my personality to help when people are in need. People around us are around a certain need, and um, so when it comes to the paranormal or supernatural, um, you you for the most part you can't run to the local police department because they're, you're going to end up getting turned away, just as what John conveyed with some of the previous cases that happened on the Naval Reservation. Uh, and the unique thing with that is our chief at the time was very adamant that you took an oath and you may not understand these cases, you may not believe in uh, whatever it is that's being presented, but you're going to be there to help people. That's what you signed on to do. To help people and protect people. And and we did that. But that's also part of John's personality and my personality. You know, for the most part, when people are experiencing, whether it's a Bigfoot case or a haunting case or, you know, they're reaching out for help. And in our experience, most of those individuals, they're traumatized. They're going through some type of trauma, whether it's a 10 year old girl being chased by a Bigfoot, you know, after she dropped off, you know, at the school bus stop or, you know, things like that. These individuals are traumatized. And, um, you know, whether it's an elderly woman that's, you know, being victimized and, and her property being taken by an entity or whatever, these people are needing help. But they're, they're, in reality, there is no paranormal police out there to try to come to the rescue. And I guess that's, in a sense, that's what John and I have tried to, tried to fulfill is to be there for the people that need help. Anyway.
1: I love that. Yeah, yeah, well they were they were damn lucky to have you guys. Uh, I'll kind of leave it at that to have such empathetic individuals uh willing to work with experiencers, you know, cuz like you said, it, it's very hard um yeah. and people struggle with these things no matter what they are. Yeah. Aliens, ghosts, uh cryptids um you know, it, it's not easy. Uh it's becoming a little easier, I think for people who've seen UFOs. I mean, UFOs seem to be the in the mainstream now more than ever and widely accepted in some ways uh but for the other stuff i can imagine it's still very isolating and alienating to to talk about these things so um no i you know from i i've seen a ufo so i guess i'm kind of an experiencer so i have to thank you guys for yes. um being open and willing to do stuff like that but um to kind of close things out here uh, in terms of continuing uh, contact in the desert, June 2nd through the 4th is going to be taking place. And you guys are going to be speaking at that. So um, would you mind giving us a little tease of maybe what you'll be talking about? Um, if you know yet when you'll be presenting uh, anything like that, whichever one of you would like to take that.
3: Go ahead, John. Yeah, I, um, okay. I'm looking at my brains here. Uh, <laughs> On my phone, I have the, uh, okay, um, we're going to be presenting a workshop first. And this will be on June 2nd on Friday, uh, 7.30 to 9.15 p.m. Um, at the resort there. Uh, the workshop is going to be called the Paranormal Rangers, the Native American uh, Approach, and with a question and answer and this is going to be a much more intimate conversation uh as to some of the culture cultural aspects behind what we do and um and then we're going to sit down with the audience and be able to take questions and answers uh the other one is going to be on Sunday June 4th at 10:35 to 12:20 and this will be in the main auditorium and uh uh, it says the title is Mysterious Discoveries of the Paranormal Navajo Rangers. So this one will be our, our standard presentation with uh, lots and lots of pictures to to put up on the screen.
1: Oh, cool. I, I'm i definitely jealous I uh, won't be able to make that. But I've seen you guys present before. It's uh, It's quite a sight to behold. And seeing the images from these investigations i think just lends so much credence to them as well so um guy definitely and, go there and make it to contact in the desert yes please stan um
2: there are a number of other uh events that both john and i are per- participating in this year would you mind if he elaborates on some of those oh absolutely yeah
3: please Okay. Back to my brain. Um, (laughs) I'm get I'm at the point now where I have to write everything down. Otherwise I just forget it.
1: I'm the Um, same way.
3: (laughs) Okay. So after contacting the desert on, um, on June 10th through the 11th, I'll be at the Bigfoot Expo in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, that'll just be me. And, uh, after that, we'll both be at, uh, on June 30th, we'll both be at the Roswell Incident speaking. And we have some stuff uh, coming up in September in Colorado, uh, around the middle of September, where we'll, we'll be speaking at the uh, the Bigfoot Outpost and for uh, Denver MUFON. Uh, so there's a lot of things that are still going on. And uh, I would like to say at this point that one of the reasons Stan hasn't been with me on a lot of these uh, talks is that he just retired a week ago and he was still working at the time. So he did 30 years in law enforcement and um, finally, you know, uh, survived it and got out. Uh, But in the time he was there, it was uh, kind of an unspoken thing. Uh, We don't want you to go out and do all these UFO cryptid, paranormal stuff because uh, he he was doing investigations. So, uh, you know, he's the the dogs have been released now. So he's he's available. (laughs) Congratulations. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Yeah. that's exciting um i know just when you thought you were you were ready to rest stan you're going to be yeah. traveling the world speaking about this stuff <laughs> <Yes>. oh, <laughs> for the yeah. foreseeable future of um, that's fine that's amazing well um i have to thank you guys for giving me your time tonight uh sharing those stories with us but i do kind of want to just give these last moments to both of you um any last words you want to give to our To our audience here just about you know this weird world we live in where it's heading and how all of this paranormal stuff plays into it yeah any any last words you want to leave our our viewers and listeners with uh stan let's start with you
2: um one of the things really that i want to try to get across and convey is that If you've had these kind of experiences, if your family member, if a family member has an experience, whether it's Bigfoot or UFOs or haunting related uh, activity, you know, really, you're, first of all, you're not crazy. Uh, There are, you'd be hard pressed to probably, try to reach out and find an individual family that has not had a family member that has some type of paranormal experience, whether it's UFOs, Bigfoot, or, um, you know, things involving witchcraft. Um, So globally, if you look, you'd be hard-pressed to try to find any family that hasn't had some type of experience however small or however, you know, uh, really large or overpressing. So, um, so you're not crazy. People have these experiences and uh, yeah, you're not alone. So um, I'll let John.
1: Thank you.
3: Okay. For me, um, one of the things as, as a criminal investigator, um, is that we're constantly looking for answers. We're not satisfied with just, um, you know, Oh, the case is done. Okay. Throw it in the back, back of the file cabinet and forget about it. Uh, we're looking for answers. We want to know. We found out, um, as far back as 2009, we started coming up with a theory that all of these things, uh, UFOs, uh, Bigfoot, uh, cryptids, uh, even skinwalkers were all related somehow that there had to be something common linking them all together. And what we found out was this idea of string theory and parallel dimensions uh, had a lot to do with, with it. Uh, We've got UFOs popping into existence uh, with a a definite pop that, you know, the sound goes right through your body uh, and then they fade out. Uh, we've had uh, Bigfoot uh, appear, and when he's appeared, and we got more cases involving Bigfoot cases, uh, we saw a corresponding increase in UFO traffic, and we've seen them linked together numerous times uh, that that uh, they were seen in the presence of UFOs, and we've tracked Bigfoot, and he's disappeared. Uh, if he had taken another step, he would have left a track. And uh, backtracked him to the point where he his footprints appear. So we think that they're coming in from a parallel dimension through a dimensional gate somehow. And they might be able to manipulate these things. Um, whether accidental or on purpose, uh, there's definitely something here that they're interested in. Uh, same with hauntings. So... Um, you know, we started talking about this in 2011 uh, in in presenting, and uh, since then the industry, uh, the the TV industry, now you turn tune in and you hear a lot about parallel dimensions, and uh, mm-hmm. the government's even trying to figure out how to access and use dimensional gates and faster than light travel. So, um, yeah. I think we're ahead of the, ahead of the curve now.
1: Yeah, well, let's add psychic abilities too, because uh, that was actually a question I forgot to ask you guys. Is this all somehow connected? So, thanks, John. You 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 precognitively answered that for me. Um, so, thank you, thank you.
3: <laughs> well, we knew <laughs> well, you were going to ask that. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's got to come up at some point in these conversations, but um, sure. no, I've kept you gentlemen longer than I told you. So uh, we're going to say good night for tonight, but once again, guys, please go if you can to contact in the desert that is June 2nd through the fourth and also check out the other events that John and eventually, eventually Stan will be speaking at as well. Um, yes. Uh, again, I, I, briefly met you guys almost oh gosh almost a decade ago at this point and um it was an honor and pleasure to see you speak then and it was an honor and pleasure to have you on somewhere in the skies tonight as well so thank you very much
2: thank you Boy. and thank you to your audience
3: yeah and thank you guys for having us we, we hope to it. see
2: you out there somewhere
1: somewhere in the skies
2: there, there you are. go exactly <laughs>